0: Better way to do this let me show you a better
1: way. Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, January the 4th, and this is episode 813 of the Survival Podcast. We have a cool one today. Steve Casarda, who's the guy, if you saw the video of my greenhouse, he's the guy I got my greenhouse from. He's also known as The Greenhouse Guy, and uh, he runs stevesgreenhouses.com. He's going to come on here, just after I get done with housekeeping, he's going to talk to us about a lot of stuff today, but not just greenhouses. He's actually going to talk to us mostly about something called growing for market. So that's actually how to turn the stuff that you grow into money, whether you're selling the plants or whether you're selling the produce at farmer's markets and other such things. I think it'll be really cool because it'll come Combine not only the self-sufficiency of growing things yourself but the self-sufficiency of potentially creating an income stream for yourself. I think it's going to be exciting and I look forward to having them on. Let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you and sponsor of the day number one is ReadyMadeResources.com What more can you ask for from a company than for them to say who they are and what they are and then do it just in their name. That's what ReadyMade does. All the resources for your prepping ready made, ready to go, point, click, buy on their website great service great pricing and folks if you can think of it from garden tools to the tactical stuff you're going to find it at ready made resources you're going to get great service and great pricing so check them out today again ready made next up today you know let's say you got the tactical stuff down you've got the guns you're ready to go do you got the ammo without ammo a gun is an overpriced club and let me tell you something about ammo a box of ammo is not enough uh, certainly it might be enough to get you through a hard time it really might, I'm not just the guy that says you need 14 billion rounds of ammo buried under your house, it's probably a bad idea, but you need a sufficient amount of ammo, not just to deal with the time of shortage but so that you can train with and use that gun, a gun you don't train with is almost as useless not quite as useless, but almost as useless as a gun without ammo, you've got to train, you've got to shoot, you've got to be proficient, and you want everybody in the family to be proficient that means you need ammo to feed those guns you need the other precious metal copper jacketed lead well the place you're going to find the best prices on it bulkammo.com. again bulk ammo.com and lightning fast shipping you won't believe how quick it'll be between the time now the first time you order you got to provide a copy of your id and stuff like that once you're in the system and you order you'll be amazed at how quickly you'll get a notice your order shipped and it'll be there like that Check out Bulk Ammo, pricing, service, everything you could want in one place. Check them out today. Remember, the best way to find BulkAmmo.com and ReadyMadeResources.com and all of our sponsors go to TheSurvivalPodcast.com first and uh, click on their banners in the right-hand margin. That way you'll know you're dealing with an actual sponsor, not somebody that has like a sound-alike domain or something like that, and cheap imitation of a true sponsor of our great community. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You also get over $150 worth of free ebooks. You get discounts to over 30 supporting vendors. It's a really great deal. 50 bucks a year comes out to about 18 cents an episode. So if you think the show's worth a couple of dimes an episode, consider joining the MSB. Remember, military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, prior service. Send me an email to jack@thesurvivalpodcast.com before you join, and I will give you a special. Discount code. Little side note, real quick before I bring Steve on. Um, This morning you may have noticed that the audio wasn't working for the show, and maybe it's still not if you got this as soon as I put it out. The reason is our audio server, which also hosts the Gear Shop and the MSB went down due to a lack of communication with our web host. I'll leave it at that. Their fault, but it's a little bit our fault, but it's like 99% their fault. But they didn't really do anything malicious or anything to us. It was just a miscommunication and a concern over some of the hacks that we had last month that we cleaned up and they didn't know we cleaned them up. So they blocked us. So that's all taken care of. The site should be back up. If they're not up when you first hear this, you are one of the people to grab it quick. What I did so that everybody could at least have some shows in the interim as I moved this week's shows over to the primary server uh, until we got the uh, audio server back up. So that's why it was out. Nothing to worry about, and hopefully by now it's not even an issue. And with the housekeeping wrapped up, I'd like to go ahead and introduce our special guest today, Mr. Steve Casart. Again, as I said, Steve is the greenhouse guy and the guy I got my greenhouse from. You can read his blog at thegreenhouseguy.com, and you can find his greenhouses for sale at Steve's Greenhouses. He's here to talk to us a little bit about greenhouses today, but more about something called growing for market, which is actually producing food and producing plants and then going out and selling them. So it's kind of a twofold thing where you're actually not just doing self-sufficiency and self-reliance from a production standpoint, but actually selling. You can make a, actually a surprising amount of money with just a small area dedicated to doing this and working a few days a month. In fact, most of the people that do it are, as uh, Steve puts it, part-timers. They have a full-time job and they do this for extra money. And then there's a lot of folks right now that are out of work that are using this to put some money in their pockets. So uh, that's great, too. He's here to talk to us about how to market your stuff, how to treat your customers, uh, how to grow your stuff, finding individual niches. It's going to be great. Hey, Steve, one, thanks for, uh, for, for building a great greenhouse. And two, thanks for joining us today on the Survival Podcast.
0: Jack, thanks. It's nice to be here.
1: Hey, Steve, um, so this is kind of a new topic. We've never actually talked about this before. When you said you wanted to be on the show, I knew greenhouses would be involved, and that's when I figured it would be mostly a greenhouse discussion. So when I saw the topic, I thought it was going to be great because it's it's, it's combining food production and secondary income. So it's really awesome. But uh, I think there's a lot of people out there that kind of have this whole idea in their head that, yeah, I'd like to be able to grow food. I'd like to be able to sell it, but how do I even get started doing that?
0: Um, first, you you just gotta try. For, depending on what you'd like to do, if you want to grow for, say, market, go to a market, see what it's like. Walk the market, um, talk to some of the under vendors, talk to the uh, the market manager. Uh, if there's something you're pretty good at growing, say so you do uh, tomato plants, try it. Try it at home first. Try to uh, start them in succession, so you'll have something to sell at market. Um, there's just a lot of things that, that you can do out there. Try what you know first. That's my recommendation.
1: And, I mean, kind of skipping around a little bit with things then, to me it seems like there would be a big advantage for someone doing growing, with, especially in a smaller area that doesn't have a big acreage, by using greenhouses to be able to start plants, maybe instead of selling produce, sell the plants themselves keep things going in succession, deal with pests. So is there maybe a big advantage for somebody using tunnels?
0: Um, there's an advantage to it. You don't have to use a greenhouse. Uh, it does help. It gives you a couple of different growing scenarios, a couple of different growing temperatures. Um, if you have a greenhouse, you can have a cold end, you can have a hot end. So you can grow things get things started for your market, move them back to the hot end and start hardening them off. Um, You can do it outside too. Plastic, plastic is a great equalizer. Uh, If you want to do PVC pipe, try it. That may be your way to get in. You don't need to start out with an expensive greenhouse. Um, That said, it does seem to pay dividends to have in a greenhouse, um, mostly by being able to control pests temperatures, diseases, um, things like that.
1: Could you talk a little bit about startup costs then? Because you, know, you just bring up a big word for everybody is expense. And I, I know there's a lot of people that would like to maybe do some growing and, and and some some production out of that. But, you know, their thought is, well, I don't have money for 20 acres or whatever. I mean, does it take a lot of money to get into uh, actually making some money with what you're growing?
0: No, not really. I mean, uh, put it this way. I go to our local Safeway, I go to Home Depot, and I'll buy different types of tomato seeds. I also order some of the hybrid seeds. You're talking a $1.69 a pack for tomato seeds. Buy some good potting soil, some uh, miracle Grow potting soil. Get some used pots from your local nursery. They love to get rid of the smaller pots, 4-inch pots. Um, start them into six-packs. Put a little hotbed in your greenhouse. We're assuming you have the greenhouse already. Um, just go go with what you know, get them started cheaply, raise them up to saleable size, maybe even hold them a little longer than that, harden them off, make sure you're selling somebody a nice product, and start small. Uh, this year, you know, you might do three or four things. Each year, you add a little bit more. And we're talking about growing for market here, for actually taking down to your local farmer's market or to your local, uh, somebody's got a stand on the street and offer them to sell your product.
1: You know, and you're talking mostly about, like, selling the plants right at this point, and to me that seems like maybe it's a better niche for a lot of people than trying to grow produce and sell produce.
0: Um, plants is early. Say, uh, say you do 200 tomato plants and 150 zucchini and 40 pumpkin plants. You take those to market over the course of the early spring or mid-spring, You sell only half the tomatoes, most of the zucchini, and very few of the pumpkins. You haven't sold them. You're not going to sell them. Plant them. If you have the room, plant them up. Now, you're going to wait three months, but you'll have another set of markets you can go to toward the end of summer when you can be selling the produce.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's spreading your revenue out um, uh, quite a bit, and I think that makes a lot of sense. On the, on the plants or the produce, do you think it makes sense for people to go, like, I, I don't know, if I go down to the, the, the nursery or what have you this spring and I look for tomato plants, everybody's going to have Parks Whopper tomatoes, or, you know, there's, some, there's a variety of California uh, Wonder peppers. Does it make sense for people to maybe take the approach of going with those, you know, well-named brands or maybe trying to establish their own niches and markets?
0: Um you can try your niches and markets. An example was this year I tried whopper and uh, oh, another tomato from back east there. Apparently, you folks have great luck with them. I found out here we have terrible luck. So yeah. start out with your basics and then uh, then expand out. just do two or three things a year. If you lose them, it costs you ten bucks. If you don't lose them, you made some extra money because it's something that nobody else is offering. Take uh yellow cucumbers. They sell great now. Uh, at first, nobody could give them away. So it's just a matter of developing your market. And it doesn't have to be vegetables. I mean, while you're starting your vegetable seed, you can also be thinking about ordering plugs for uh, bedding plants, petunias, uh, trailing basket materials. Um, there's just a ton of things out there. I do begonias. Begonias are hard to do, but after time, you learn how to do them. That, since they're hard to do, nobody else does them. I've got the market cornered. I can charge what I want. So don't stick with your your local stuff. Just do branch out a little bit.
1: It makes me think of herbs, too, because, like, I I can't believe it. I go down to, like, these nurseries or whatever, and people are selling a basil, you know, a basil-starred plant for three bucks. And you get about a bazillion seeds off a single basil plant. and. If you can't grow basil, you've done something I don't know what it's like in the Northwest, right? But in the South, if you can't grow basil, you've done something bad wrong. Uh, you're probably not going to grow bacteria if you can't grow basil. So it seems like there's a lot of opportunity, and maybe the herbs, the flowers, the ornamentals, all of that stuff, kind of cumulative. Uh, yeah. the
0: Up here, herbs and basils, they're a big product. They, we do have a lot of problems with them, with uh, pests and diseases for me. I'm retired, so I stick with the easy stuff. Um, <laughs> you, you, you know, there's ten people that sell basil at my show or at my market, sure. and sell a lot of herbs. I'm the only one that sells begonias. Maybe one other person. Um, geraniums, you know, the big beautiful geraniums. You can order a plug for fifty cents or seventy-five cents now. Put it in twenty-five cents worth of pot and soil. Sell it for three forty-nine. There's only one other person in my market that does that. So if you're into the basils and you want to produce basil and herbs for everybody, try it. But try sure. it on a limited basis. Spread yourself out, like I keep saying.
1: I think it might make sense, too, even if you're going to do that. Well, then get a little bit exotic, do the purples or something like that. And I, I think it, you're, we're coming across something I really didn't think of before the interview. Well, there's a lot of variances by region. If I it, it, Literally, if I take a handful of basil seeds and throw them in my yard, if I don't mow that spot, there will be basil later on. Um, that's that's what it's like down here and where you have a different environment. Or the Whopper tomato, not really down here, but I remember that one from Pennsylvania. When we grew that in the northeast, that tomato was like it – was, it was almost like having an apple tree by the end of the year. There was so much growth and so many tomatoes on it, and they don't work as well for you. And I'm sure there's plenty of things in the, the northwest that work well that wouldn't work down here. So it probably does make sense for people to do a lot of – Self experimentation, so they know they're marking a good product.
0: Right, exactly. And like I say, doing your research at your local market before you actually start growing, that's going to be the key. Um, walk, you know, go to your market, go to the several different markets in your area if you can. Walk the market, look at the stalls, see who has a line, see who which vendor has a smile on his face, um, and when you notice his customers walk away, see if they're smiling. And then look at what he's selling. That's that's key. And that vendor, you may be gonna copy part of what he's doing. You're still gonna do your own stuff. But that vendor doesn't care if you copy him. He's confident enough in his product that he figures the more the merrier. That's how I am at my markets. Yeah, and I you'll know. Find, you'll find that guy that was smiling and his customers were smiling. Uh, if he's like me, I can be selling, say, a geranium for three ninety nine and have somebody Two stalls down, selling for $1.99, and the customer going to buy it from me just because of the rapport you build with your customer. That's another thing. Take your time, commit for a couple of years. The first year you may get just dusted. The second year, your couple of your people are going to start to know you, and by the third year, you're a regular. You know, you're like their local grocery store. They're going to come to you first.
1: Yeah, I think the the rules of business apply to all businesses and there is certainly something that said before about building up a clientele and uh a client a client being willing to pay more than a customer will. I think that's people always, you know, make that customer client delineation and to me it's not like, you know, whether a customer or client is based on the, the client will pay you more uh than the customer will. That that's what it means to me because they're loyal to you and they want to do business with you. Exactly, and
0: they have a proprietary feeling in your business. They feel like they own a piece of your business. So if they know you from the get-go, they uh, they feel like they're responsible for your growth. Well,
1: yeah, and they, and they come
0: back. They'll buy multiples that you know that they really don't need for their yard. Yeah, but they'll do it just to make sure that you're sticking around the market.
1: Yeah, because that's what's happened. They've bought you from bought from you for three or four years. They want to know that next year when they come back, you're going to be there again. Exactly. So what about competition overall? I mean, is it a problem? Is it a friendly marketplace? I mean, because I've been in business in different markets, and I've been in some where, like, you come into that business, like, everybody wants to cut your throat and kneecap you. If there's a kneecap business out there that doesn't sound like it, it's fishing guides. You show up and start guiding on a lake where there's old-timers and you haven't been there, you might come back and find your tires slashed or or sugar in your gas tank. And then some, they're like, you know, the more the merrier or whatever.
0: Yeah, here it's kind of the more the merrier thing. Everybody that's been doing it for four, five, six, seven, eight, ten years, they've got their clientele. What they want is more clientele, and you get more clientele by having more vendors. It's like a a chase-the-tail thing. Uh, What came first, the vendor or the client? Um, The more vendors you have, the more customers are going to come, the more you're going to gain, and the older people are going to gain. So, There's The competition thing comes in mostly in play in pricing. Um, The older guys are going to have the highest prices. The newer guys are going to come in with the lower prices, and they expect that. But they also know that in two or three years, you're going to be bringing your prices up as well as your quality to where you'll be on par with them, or you just won't be there. I've seen a lot of vendors come in, start out with the high price, last one year, maybe a year and a half, they're gone because they just can't keep customers.
1: Yeah, I I think the rapport is huge too because like I went down to the farmer's market down here not long ago and there were some people there that were, they were, I I don't really want to say like anything negative, but they were almost like calling the people as they were walking by and like trying to haggle. It almost felt like like an Asian market like over in Singapore or something and they Mm -hmm. weren't doing real well. You know, people were there all laid back and lots of retired people shopping at farmers markets are there for a different reason than they go to supermarkets. They're they're not just there to to go buy something and leave. They're there for the experience. And I think you kind of need to become part of that experience if you want success. Oh, you do. I mean,
0: you're 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 sharing with the customer your passion for what you're doing. And for me, I don't know. Most of the vendors there, it is a passion. They aren't doing it because they're getting rich because you're not going to get rich. Um, you can make good money at it, uh, but you just, yeah, you have to be there for the customer. You have to catch a customer's eye. You always have to be nice, period, to a customer. There's no being partly nice. Uh, the nicer you are, the, the better they're going to respond, and you may think that you're portraying a bit of an act at first, like I did when I first got in the nursery business. After a while, I realized these people really do care about me. They care about what I think and what I've got to say, and they realize, I know my plants. I mean, I've had customers come in that uh, they have no clue what this plant is, but it sure is pretty. And by the time they're leaving, they've got three of them because I've told them everything I know about that plant, the good and the bad, and they're excited about it. So if they can see that you're excited, you're going to get them excited. You make them feel like they're a part of the market, and they want to feel like a part of the market.
1: Yeah, I think they also want to feel like when I take this home and I plant it, I'm going to plant it in the right soil with the right light exposure and I'm going to water it the way I'm supposed to. I'm going to fertilize it. And if I don't know what it is, I'm not sure what to do. So if you can make them feel comfortable that they're going to go home and have great results and they do, then you're really going to start to establish something with them. And I mean, that's kind of my next question is how long does it take for somebody to really get established into something like this? To where like they're going to be um, there? They are going to be there next year. You know, like you know they're going to be there next year when you see them as a vet.
0: Um, you you just have a feel for them. They're not the pushy types. Um, they don't cross their arms and let a customer walk up to them. That the type of person it's going to take to stay in the business it's just going to have to be friendly, outgoing, smiling. Um, they have to have that passion, and passion shows on their face. It shows in their products. That's just all I can say is the passion. That word's overused a lot, but the people that I, all the vendors, that a lot of the vendors I know, they're there for that passion. Like I said, it's definitely not the money. But given the money, this is a way to make some money. I have sold quite a few greenhouses over the years, and I say in the last two years, I've had a dozen of my greenhouse customers that are now selling at market and four of them are selling at one of the markets I'm at. One of them is right next to me, and I think it's great. It's like I'm the godfather. I get the people in <laughs> just by showing them my passion. Yeah. They, they seem to gain some passion, and then I've heard, like the guy sitting next to me, how he interacts with customers, and he interacts the same way I do. His, the little story about him is uh, he's a UW graduate. He was laid off. He lives just about two miles from me, bought a greenhouse. Asked for suggestions. I told him a few things. And lo and behold, the very next next market, he's sitting two stalls over from me. Selling lala lala sweet starts, onion sweets or starts. And uh, I said, great. I walked over. He had 48 of them. And through the course of the market, I've sent people down to him. That's another thing vendors do is they send, you know, if you know somebody down there has got it, you'll send them down there rather than have them walk away. So I sent him down to him to get the Walla Walla sweets. I go back and see him at the end of the show or the end of the day. I said, Dad, you did great. You got wiped out. I said, what are you bringing next week? He says, that's all I had. Oh wow. He had anticipated selling 48 of them over say the next three markets. He sold out in the first day. Wow. So it is a a potential money maker. Like I said, not rich, but you're going to pay your costs. You're going to have a, you know, it's, it's also a lifestyle.
1: Well, it's definitely going to build community with people. I mean, you have people that you know you could lean on in your area, and they know they can lean on you if you guys need each other, and that's a huge part of the whole prepper mentality. Um, you've mentioned a greenhouse quite a bit because, I mean, it's a big thing for you. Obviously, you're Steve, the greenhouse guy, right? So um, do you think somebody needs a greenhouse to do this, or is it just highly beneficial, or does it depend on where they live, or what? what, would, what were your thoughts on that?
0: You know, a greenhouse is a great thing to have. Of course, I sell them. Um, but you could start out with the PVC frame. Or
1: sure. you could
0: start out with a uh, a piece of plywood on top of the fence. I, if, if you don't mind, send folks to uh, com. It's a blog I started, thanks to you. And one of the series I did in it was uh, Growing for Market. It tells in there, and one of my first ones that I started out with a 4x8 sheet of plywood with two legs, and the top of it was up on top of my fence. I put some plastic around it, and I went to market that year. Um, I've never looked back. I mean, I quit doing markets because I got into the retail nurseries, but uh, here, 25 years later, I'm back into doing markets. So you can start with a lean-to shed off of your house. You can start in your kitchen with your... Uh, to me to start up so on just to be roof.
1: clear to be clear on that kind of, and you probably have this on your blog, and I just haven't seen it yet, um, that piece of plywood isn't for stuff to sit on top of. It's kind of like a roof, and it's like a lean-to, and you face that, I guess, you know, south, and, and drape exactly, plastic from yeah. there. Oh, okay, cool. What a great yeah, idea. I put a little door on the front. Um,
0: it looked rinky-dink on the inside, but all the plants that I had in it sold, and I just sold those to neighbors.
1: Wow. Um, it,
0: it doesn't take a lot. there's not a lot of expense involved into getting into it. Even uh, say that greenhouse you got for me. yep, that, uh, I forget what the cost was. But by the time you got all said and done, if you had bought that greenhouse, done the framing, all the plywood, all the plastic, everything you've got to buy from Home Depot, you're in
1: nine hundred bucks. That's about right, Yeah, cause I think it was about six hundred, and I think I have about three hundred into the material, so that's dead on. Yeah,
0: so if you've got that much, I'd say
1: invest it. The worst thing you're ever going to do is you're going
0: to continue to use that house for yourself and the house will pay for itself eventually. The best you can do is be ordering another greenhouse next year and that happens a lot. I mean, when people get into this business, it's explosive. Uh, The growth is usually exponential.
1: I think there's some real potential for some exotic things that haven't been explored yet as well, like if I look in uh, a catalog like Raintree or something, they sell wolfberry or goji berry. Uh, a plant mm. is like $12.50, $18. Well, I tried starting some from seed, and it's as easy as starting a tomato. And you can buy a packet of seeds from like Sand Mountain Herbs for, oh, I don't know, like 3 bucks for like, you know, and it's like it seems like there's about 100 seeds in there.
0: That's a pretty good
1: margin, you know, yeah. and – they they are pretty floss tolerant. They'll go down about zone five, but they'll handle warm temps up to, like, zone eight. So it's got a big swath of the market, and that's just, like, one thing. And to me, that would be something you could show up at a, uh, a market with that you're probably not going to have a lot of other people there. And if you had a little uh, like a little bowl full of the dry – where you dry them sort of like raisins, they're good eating, they're very nutritious. I think that would sell. I mean, and that's just you know, you off go. the top of my head. And you're the only one going to have it. For a while, anyway, that's for sure.
0: probably the only one selling it. Um, Another way of doing that is what I do is I like to skulk the back aisles of your local nursery because every nursery owner, if it's a real nursery and not just a buy-in and resell nursery, if it's a real nursery, you check their back aisles, and you're going to find their little special things. For me, it's um, all things like angel wing begonia. That's something... Mm -hmm. That you probably some of these some of the folks listening today will have that in their house. Take some cuttings um, over the course of the next couple of years. You can sell thirty of those plants at eight dollars a piece. That's not much, but that's one little plant. Uh, there's just a ton of things out there. Like I said, if you if you if you go through the aisles of the back of a nursery and maybe even ask the nursery owner, hey, what's a real good seller for you? Um, I've found things like. Sedum. Sedum is like the thing that everybody does when they first get into market. Right now, I do an ogon, which is a yellow sedum with a yellow flower on it, and I've never seen another person sell it. It, It's a weed. You drop it on the ground, it starts. I drop it into four-inch pots, and I turn it into cash. Um, There's, I probably do six, eight, ten of those things that nobody else does. So it's just there's some legwork involved you can you don't want to just go buy tomato and zucchini seeds that's a good start you have to have those but go find the unusual and like you were just talking about
1: yeah i think there's like all kinds of boutique things that are done like if you look at like Seth holzer everybody worries about crossing squash right because uh, you get uh-huh. some weird things when you do some squash crosses but sometimes you get some really cool things of that f1 generation hybrid well, you know that's something if you if you figure it out. If you go do and, and you know manually pollinating squash plants is pretty easy. You, you you take a male blossom and you take a female blossom just before it opens and you use the male blossom to pollinate the female blossom. You pull the female open. You take some paper tape and you tape the female closed so it'll never open. Two days later the blossom falls off. You know the cross and you might get some real ugh, right. But Steph's got some pretty cool stuff. And that would yeah, be another example of where else are you going to get one? You've got the secret recipe, so to speak.
0: That's right, and you can do that over and over and over with squashes, with roses, with anything.
1: Well, I'm sure you know the story of the mortgage lifter tomato.
0: You know, actually, I don't.
1: Okay, mortgage. The mortgage lifter is a hybrid that became an heirloom. Like it was such a great tomato that they just kept replanting the seed. And you, it takes about seven to 14 generations generally to make a hybrid reproduce. So if you just call out everything that didn't work and get seed only and do it over and over again. So they did with that when mortgage lifter. Originally it was a hybrid and there was a guy that came up with these two, I don't remember what the two source tomatoes were. And this was a, a guy in Pennsylvania Dutch country, which is probably why I know this. And um, this was back in the 30s during the depression. And he started making these tomatoes, growing out and selling the plants. And he sold them because they were like the only ones. So this is a lot of money back then for like 50 cents a plant. And in one summer, he paid off the mortgage on his house. So that's why it's the mortgage lifter. It lifted the mortgage from this guy's back. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, that's something that was done in the 30s. But I think there's still plenty of stuff left to be done today.
0: Right. But then you've got to remember his mortgage was uh, $2,300. <laughs> oh,
1: I'm not promising you that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Because I remember my, my grandparents had this place. It was about an acre and a half of Pennsylvania uh, old farmhouse with like, it was actually two houses, but they called the old, they used the other one as a shed at that, by that point. And uh, I remember my grandmother telling me when she paid the mortgage off in the forties, uh, after my grandfather came home from the war and she said that it was not what they had to pay off, but the original mortgage was $1,350. And you know, you look at that and you go, You're probably going to have the next mortgage lifter tomato, but you might have, I don't know the mortgage payment tomato. If you could make one payment a year, it's, you know, it's something. Sure.
0: Sure. That's, that's kind of what I shoot for at this market here is uh, try to make a couple of payments a year out of it.
1: You know, someone's going to do that now, Steve, and they're not going to give either one of us credit, the mortgage payment to I make. <laughs> I
0: don't care. You know what? I don't care. <laughs> uh, and that's another thing about my greenhouses. If you want one, great. If you don't, I don't care. Just build one. Yeah. Because you're going to find, once it's in your backyard, you got to use it. And if you start using it, you're going to start growing something. You'll give a little something to a neighbor. The other neighbor will want to buy a couple. So this is not the kind of thing that you have to jump in with both feet right away or buy an expensive greenhouse. Just do it. Have fun with it. Um, it it's a nice way to teach kids, too, that you don't have to go through the drive through to uh, get lettuce on your hamburger. Um, it's It's just fun.
1: The growth rate difference is big too. I I don't think people get it, especially during the colder months of the year. Like, you guys have cool weather, right? We don't. We have hot weather down here, and in the summer, you try to grow lettuce in this environment, it it, just—it's too hot. It it, just—it is too hot. So then you go to grow it in the winter, and it'll survive these cold temperatures, but it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it's looking for that like 50 degree thing. It's not looking for that 25 or 80, you know, or 95. It's looking for that middle ground that we don't get much of. But you take that cold temperature and you go with a greenhouse. Like I don't know if you saw the videos I did with the lettuce in my garden, with just a all I did was put a fish tank over them, but yeah. the growth rate was like six times the stuff sitting right next to it.
0: Yep, I've got that sitting in my greenhouse right now. I grow. I take a trough like a six inch deep. 16-inch long, 8-inch wide plastic trough planters, and I'll plant four or five of those up with lettuce so that I can harvest this leaf lettuce over the course of the winter. Um, I've got radishes going right now, cauliflower going right now, carrots, uh, walla walla sweet onions. These are all things you can do in a greenhouse, and I'm only at uh, 40, 40 degrees. 40 degrees? So
1: what, what, what did you say the temperature was? Beg pardon. Yeah, about forty degrees that night. Oh, forty degrees at night. Yeah. We we had our first really cold night last night. It was like twenty four. Uh yeah. everything I had made it. I don't have anything that's really uh frost sensitive right now going on though. But even my stuff in my garden beds. I've got some uh broccoli and cabbage and stuff in the beds and they all made it, the cover crops all made it. Um it's it's amazing when plants are healthy, how much more tolerant of stress they are than when they're not. Right.
0: Yeah, the 40 degrees I was talking about was my heated temperature outside. Oh, funny, okay.
1: Outside. There you go. I was like 40s, not that okay. I got you. So you're you're, you're you're about 40 inside during the during the the, the the day. Are you using any kind of supplemental heat, or are you just using you know solar residual? Or
0: I've got a well, the house that I use now primarily is a uh, 10 by 40, so I've got a 220 volt, 4,000 watt electric okay. heater. And then I've got a little backup propane heater. It's called a Blue Flame. They're 30,000 watts. You can hook it up to a small uh, tank, 10-gallon tank, 20-gallon tank. And that's a backup. So if it gets down into the teams here tonight, my electric heater can't handle it. The uh, propane will kick in.
1: And you probably don't – I mean, people hear that 4,000-watt heater, and they think of like trying to heat a house. You're probably not using anywhere near the energy draw because all you're doing is maintaining – you're trying to maintain 40, not 72. Right,
0: yeah. No, they, and the 4,000-watt, if you think about it, is only uh, two and a half times the size of a milk house heater. Gotcha. Just, yeah, so it's not that big of a deal.
1: And, of course, you only have to run it on your nights when you go down into those lower temperatures. If it's, I mean, I, I look at, like, my average temperatures here, and through January I have a lot of times where we're hitting 30-ish, and that's not that hard to raise up to 40 from. Um, we occasionally get a 7-degree day or a 5-degree day, but we get a lot through our winter where it's – I mean, I don't think you need anything. Your, your, your overnight low is 38 degrees.
0: Well, you have some solar gain there, too. We don't get a whole lot of solar gain. We get a lot of clouds.
1: Yeah, So you're
0: getting sunshine during the day that's going to help you out. Um, another trick to saving on that heat is the things I told you I was doing, the vegetables, plus I do some orchids that I hold over. Uh, the trick to doing that is drop a sheet of plastic down in the middle of your greenhouse and just heat the front 15 feet or 10 feet.
1: Oh, I, mean. I got you. So basically put in a curtain... Right. And all your lettuce, your onions, your brassias, your things like that, they couldn't give a damn the it's 20 side. degrees. They're in the cold side. Oh, that makes perfect sense. That way you
0: could you're be starting your other stuff for market, plus you can keep your special plants and your house plants in there, in the okay. front end.
1: What do you think about my idea of somebody being able to say they grow locally produced vanilla orchids? Am I just crazy? Is that some dream that Bill Mollison stuck in my head, or is it possible?
0: You know, I don't know what a vanilla orchid is. I'm into some cymbidium orchids myself. Okay. But uh, I don't see why you couldn't. Can those vanilla orchids go down to 32?
1: Uh, the rate, that would be edgy. I mean, that's like that's like the death zone right there. I mean, it's it's right at freezing. They, they, they fall out. Probably could handle 32. Probably not going to handle 30. Um, but they're just an orchid, basically, that produces the vanilla bean, right? So uh, right. they take some... You know, you have to kind of manually pollinate them to get good production. But to me, I've always thought that, especially with, like, a true glass house, south side of a house, supplemental heat, you know, and and to to then niche market that. Like, if I did that, I wouldn't be down at a farm. I might sell some of it. But what I would want to do then is find, like, a local brewery and um, say, why don't we do a, a winter ale with, with locally produced organic vanilla bean and, and really, you know, because that's something that's going to sell in a 22-ounce bottle for 14 bucks right? And you don't need a lot of vanilla to make a, a fairly large so something like that, I've always thought there's like a niche for something to be able to say, you know, because people are sort of value that locally produced label a lot
0: um, You know, another little niche that, for, that uh, values that locally produced label is hospitals nursing huh? homes schools um, you don't have to sell at a farmer's market. If you can prove that you can produce something, um, a lot of these people are willing to buy it from you, and then they can in turn say it's locally grown. So they get a feather in their cap, and they usually pay, pay pretty well.
1: So, and It's probably the, some of the easier stuff to grow sells for some of the best money. I mean, like I, I don't know of anything that I grow that's easier than salad greens. You know, good right. salad green mix with mescaline and, uh, you know, uh, lettuces and arugula and, and all that, baby spinaches, small chard, amaranth tossed in there. You, you, you almost basically what I do is if you go to, like, a, a pizzeria, like the old cell pizzerias where they have the uh, the jars with, the like, red pepper in them, I just, like, mix a whole crap load in the, and throw it in a jar like that. And I just spray, like, I'm like I'm grass seeding into a trough, and that stuff gross. grows. I mean, you can't stop it, and people pay well for that. A little bag of salad mix us five bucks at the grocery store. The more often you cut it, the faster it grows, too. And I like your idea with the trough. So you start at one end, you cut today's, and by the time you get back to the beginning, it's come again.
0: Yeah, well, I, I use four troughs. The trough might last me three days. Um, then I'm into the next trough, and the next trough. And then by the time you get back to the first one, you're all grown back up again.
1: I was and thinking about... I was thinking about, you know, have you seen Larry Hall's stuff he's done with the rain gutters? Yeah. I was thinking about taking, like, two sticks of rain gutter because I got the 20-foot greenhouse from you. There's 20-foot along one side. That's your lettuce trough. One rain mm-hmm. gutter on top of another rain gutter takes up a few inches. And, I mean, you just yeah. have this long line of lettuce. And by the time you got to the end, man, you're, you know, I mean, <laughs> you can grow a lot of lettuce in a 20-foot, 4-inch uh, rain rain uh, rain gutter.
0: And what I find, though, here in the northwest, I don't know how it is for you, is we've got to get our. Uh, so I do leaf lettuce in my troughs. Yeah, you have to get that going by mid October, or it just struggles all the way through. <laughs> the aphids get a chance to attack it and grow quickly. So yeah, that's something. You, I don't know for you if you can plant it any time, but we I can
1: plant it right now. And as long as it, well, if I plant it right now, as long like. I would want to hopefully hit a week where we get those weeks that are consistently in the fifties and it's not too hard to do. And once I can get it going, no problem. It just doesn't get that cold here. And we get, we, you know, our days start, everybody's do, but our days really start to get longer right now. And you're right. We don't get a lot of uh, shade. We get a lot of, a lot of good solar exposure this time of year. There's parts of my yard that get sun now that almost never get it in the summer uh, because of the fall and everything. So yeah, I can get stuff off the ground now. It's easier Two months ago, definitely. But you can... But I start my, like, for my own personal use, like my tomatoes, my peppers, and everything like that, I usually start those about February 1st. But I start them indoors till they germinate, and then I move them out to a greenhouse or a cold frame or something like that. Because I get much more rapid germination if I'm holding them at 70 degrees until they germinate.
0: Well... With those that you started, those tomatoes, you probably used half of that pack of seeds, right? Maybe. Maybe. So yeah. you can take the rest of the pack, plant it into, I use jumbo six-packs, you know, they are yeah. they're just a big, big pack.
1: And sell them. Take the
0: rest of those seeds, yeah. Uh, put them in jumbo six-packs, get them started, shift them up to four-inch. If you haven't found a marquee yet, shift them up to gallons. And within three months, you're just going to have some really nice, lush gallons tomato plants to sell and yeah. that's going to more than pay for your seed
1: you know what you're making me think of now with this whole just not a market yet just put them into a bigger pot in timberland sales when you're holding timberland and you either want to sell the land or go ahead and cut it and take the timber and this year the market sucks they call it sitting on the stump you just wait right. and then you wait and what happens is the stumps get bigger and when the market's better not only is the market better but the yield is greater so you're kind of doing that in an accelerated couple months versus like several years with Timberland. But, yeah, because a gallon tomato plant at Home Depot is like 12 bucks. You know, they're expensive yep. when they're that big.
0: Yeah, there's uh, other plants that you can do that with, too. I've taken uh, – mentioned Home Depot. I've gone into Home Depot when they're having a clear out on shrubs. Yeah. Like Alberta, Alberta spruce. Uh-huh. Uh, for my wholesaler, I pay $4 for an Alberta spruce. From Home Depot, they were a dollar ninety nine. I believe I bought everything they had. Um, I planted up everything into uh, two gallon pots, and I trimmed some of them wrong. Well, I sold out all the ones that I didn't trim wrong, and guess what? I shifted them up again. Now the ones I trimmed wrong are sixteen dollars. Interesting. Of so every mistake here, when you make a mistake, you can cover it just by holding it another year and make more money on it. So that's another little niche for your farmer's market, too. Think of shrubs. Think of trees. Uh, In every farmer's market, it seems like there's one guy that knows trees, or gal, excuse me, uh, that knows trees, and that could be
1: you. Yeah, they damn near give away fruit trees at the end of the season, too. There's not usually a lot left, but like the one year I got, and I'm about to actually put them in the ground finally because I just held them in pots till now, two dwarf peaches – from a Home Depot in uh, Frisco, Texas, and I think I paid like four fifty a piece for them. And you, go, and you could have sold those for twenty bucks. Oh, funny. easy! They sell a twenty, thirty dollars. Yeah. Um, and now they would sell. Now they're they produce peaches now. They're they're fairly substantial. Um, so you got
0: to keep your eyes peeled. You got to look for the deals. Um, like I said, back corners, nurseries, even Home Depots—they all have back corners. Home Depot has a deal. I don't know if folks know it. But they approached me once, uh, one of the big growers in Southern California, when I had a nursery down there. He said, you want some bedding plant? That said, I can't afford that. And he says, it's guaranteed sales. I had no clue what that was. He says, "What we do is we go into Home Depot, then we hit Kmart, then he came to me. He says, we give you whatever you want. If you sell it, you give us the profit. If you don't, we take it back and give you credit. So huh. there's always a buyer somewhere in the garden center at Home Depot and when you see them picking up flats of plants and put them into um, baskets to haul away, to throw away, tell them I'll give you a dime on the dollar and they'll just jump on it. I've done it so many times. You take that plant home, cut it pat, put it in a bigger pot and make ten times your investment.
1: Wow. So, yeah, I'd, I'd never even heard of anything like that before.
0: Uh, look around. You'll see usually there's a basket with stacks and stacks of flaps in it.
1: Yeah. It's stuff that the
0: vendor is taking back because it didn't sell. And to to Home Depot, it doesn't matter. They didn't pay anything for it.
1: I got it. So, but if they can make a few bucks on it instead of sending it back, then, then they're much better off. Well, actually, it's the vendor that's going to give it to you. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, okay, I got it. Yeah, they can't give it to you. Home Depot cannot give it to you, but their vendor is responsible for coming and Calling and removing all the. So stuff. it's the
1: merchandising rep that, that, right. that comes out there that, yeah. that you want to deal with. I got you. That's and, and they will be there most every day during the spring and
0: summer. Sure, You'll see somebody there from one or the, one of the two um, merchandisers. So yeah.
1: So they know, they know if I have to take this back and this, this location here didn't sell, and if I take it down the road, they're probably wanting to send some back too. It's not going to sell this year, but I can give it to this guy at a discount. We you know protect ourselves from a loss, and he can go take it into his niche market and, and do something with it.
0: Sure, and if you can build a reputation or a rapport with that, uh, that merchandiser, they may call you and say, I'm going to be there Tuesday when I clean up. And they don't take the stuff from Home Depot and try to clean it up and resell it somewhere else. It goes from Home Depot to their trash pile at the back of the nursery period.
1: Wow. Huh.
0: So, that's called guaranteed sales.
1: That's, that's, there's an insider piece of information, folks, that's, uh, probably there for anybody to discover, but if you don't know, you don't know. That's very cool. Pretty shocking. Yeah. But I guess it's the way that they make sure that they get inventory out. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um when somebody's doing this and they get what you would consider established, what's a reasonable income uh, that you could expect to make? And I know that that could be because if somebody asks me as a you know as a podcaster, what's a reasonable income? Well, for some people, ten grand is great. Other people can make a half a million a year podcasting. You you might end up somewhere mm-hmm. in the middle, right? But I mean, what's a reasonable like you're probably making enough that it's worth your time and it's probably sustainable that type of thing, kind of on an annual basis.
0: Sure, it's going to be worth your time. It's going to be worth your investment. Um, even if you do have to buy a greenhouse, that's, say that greenhouse that you spent $1,000 on, it's going to pay for itself in a couple of years. But like I said, you're never going to get rich. You can uh, say a typical day for me in uh, early May, before my baskets are ready, but I'm doing begonias and geraniums and a few combos, a typical day would be 600 $700. That's
1: pretty decent. A good
0: that would be up for a Saturday and the sure. day before on Friday at another market. I probably made four fifty five hundred. Okay, and then you've got your Mother's Day weekend. You can count on, you know. And I've been doing this a while, but I can still count on fifteen hundred dollars for that uh, that Saturday. And that's five hours. You know, you've got a lot of labor involved at home and a lot of prep work. Um you've gotta have everything to have a booth at a market. You don't just walk in and put it on the ground sure um but yeah there's there's money to be made at it.
1: well, that's an interesting thing you you brought up. How about that what What does a person need to like think about Because like, if you're selling a significant amount of volume, you're not just gonna throw it in the back of a jetta. And, and, and cruise out there, you need maybe some table space that you have to provide for yourself. Any kind of like, like whenever I do trade shows, there's always some level of like production value to the booth. I mean, what are some of the things that people need to be thinking about beyond just, I've got plants I want to sell.
0: Well, you got to have a display. I, I'd like to start with the, what are they, the easy up tents. Those are nice. Have one of those. Have some weights to hold it down. Um, have uh, a couple of the tables, the folding tables from like Home Depot. They're $40 for a two-foot by six-foot table. A couple of those so that you got the product up close to the customer. Um, decide what you're going to have. Are you going to have hanging baskets? Or are you just going to have vegetables? Um, a couple of the other little things like have bags, have boxes. Um, have pricing, price tags. Have a bench with Stuff on it. Have a bench with special stuff on it. Um, have your bench with everyday stuff on it. Uh, there's just a zillion things to learn. Best way to do it is go to the market and just stand there and stare at somebody's food. And when when you get to see that person and, and they're slowed down, go talk to them.
1: Yeah, they
0: don't mind you. They really don't mind.
1: Because one of the things I'm thinking of now is like, okay, if I'm if I was going to bring a uh, couple hundred pumpkins to to a market. I could literally just fill them up in the back of my pickup truck and, and take them down there. With plants, I've got to be concerned that I don't damage them. That's what sells is the plant looking good and healthy. So is, right. there, is there some ways that you do that? Because till this second, I never even really thought about that logistical component.
0: Sure. Um, say you wanted to take uh, a bunch of petunias, a bunch of bacopa, a bunch of lobelia, a bunch of this, a bunch of that. Don't take a 100 of each. Take 25. Keep it small. Um, Not everything is going to sell every time. So just take as as broad a range as you can. Only take your best materials, your best pumpkins, whatever you're taking. Um, You said you had 100 pumpkins. Don't take them. You're only going to sell 30 anyway.
1: Sure, and I'm being ridiculous. I'm just thinking of, like, if I had a whole bunch of produce, I could – few boxes back of the truck, gone – but I got to be a lot more careful stacking. I can't stack plants on top of each other. Well, I, I can, but I got to be creative about how I set that up. Well, you find the old wooden boxes, um, and put them in the boxes and
0: stack the boxes. Gotcha. Or then, then you put your tables across the tops of the boxes. I use a band. I have uh, just a few shelves in there, and I can slide my flats along that shelf. I can put 28 flats. Just in one quarter of my van, and then I've got room for hanging baskets, patio pots. Um, and busy season, like before Mother's Day, I take a trailer as well. You can do it, like you said, though, in your uh, Volkswagen facade. Sure. You just have to plan it right, and
1: and take less.
0: Taking your yeah, right. you're only taking your Volkswagen Passat, so you don't need four tables.
1: Yep. And if you were product of. Or if you live really close, maybe take a But yeah, I think somebody with a pickup or a van could could, could probably pull this off at any scale because you're not going to sell everything. I think that's another thing I've seen with people at trade shows in, in other in a different than a farmers market, but the same uh, for the newbie, where they bring so much merchandise and mm. they're not you're not going to sell it all, especially like your first couple appearances. And my my thought is if you only bring a little bit and you completely sell out that's awesome because you should be getting a bunch of people's names and emails and telling them you're going to be there next week and what do they want, and then your market kind of tells you what your inventory requirements are. Uh, Otherwise, you end up – I mean, and the other thing is, like, if you end up with, like, just stuff full of stuff where people can't move around and see all of the different options that you have for them, it also kind of makes them feel like, well, nobody's buying from you. Right,
0: yeah. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned uh, email addresses, have a card. Have a business card with your email address on it. I don't know. I'm not big on collecting people's email addresses, but I think mm-hmm. that's a little um, overboard for when you're first meeting them. But have your card there, and if you've got a website, so much the better. You can kind of show what you're going to have at market this week.
1: Have you ever done anything with pre-ordering for your existing customers? Like, you know, we're going into spring now, and... You know, there's always a high demand for begonias, and do you want to pre-order or maybe not even pre-order, but, like, just reserve, you know, even if they don't give you yeah. any money right away?
0: Yeah, at the beginning of the season, I, I'm kind of known for a really nice trailing begonia basket. It will trail down three feet. It's just awesome. You might see it on uh, the thegreenhouseguy.com. I've got some pictures of it on there. Those, when I get to market, people that bought them last year, will almost all come back to you and want the ones they bought last year plus one or two as a gift. So, yeah, always an offer. You know, uh, I don't take those begonias until later in the year, but everybody knows I do them. So they're pretty much by the time I take them, they're already all ordered.
1: Very, very cool. So um, I, I guess, I mean, one of the things we need to do is drive home how big of a, 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 a I guess, a, an impact this can have on an average person's life. Because you know we talk about self sufficiency here, and I know that's it's really a big thing for you to help other people become more self reliant. And mm-hmm. you're not talking about getting rich, but I mean, is it reasonable to say somebody can make ten grand a year doing this?
0: Oh yeah, easily.
1: And um, to me, and that'll it's, keep it's, a lot of people out of bankruptcy.
0: Oh sure, yeah. That's the kind of the reason I'm doing this is to help people that are out of work. And it's just nothing. There's not a better feeling than seeing these people there making money. I mean, honestly, making money hand over fist. Uh, they're only doing it a couple of days a week. But if you take a couple of, say, say a, a $600 and a $300 day, that's one week times nine or times four. Three times nine is $2,700 for the month.
1: That's so not half that long.
0: Yeah, half of that's your expenses for materials and your, your market fees and things like that. You're, like I said, not getting rich, but you're certain to keep the wolf away from the door.
1: And, you know, I um, I, I want to reiterate right here that Steve and I are not tax advisors or anything. Take, just do what you want with this. But I would say that the primary method of doing business in these environments is cash money. And you take that how you want, folks. But, you know, cash money is cash money. And you, you guys can extrapolate from that on your own.
0: There's one thing you want to do keep in mind, though, is, you're in a farmer's market, it's a cooperative market, mm-hmm. and they they make their money, the market itself makes their money based on your sales. Okay. So, if you want the market to be able to advertise, to bring in more
1: customers. Gotcha. Okay. And,
0: and the markets also will, uh, usually provide insurance, and that's important.
1: Oh, okay. That that brings the the economy on grid and with a a return. Like that's what you get for being on grid. I would still say if you're selling tomato plants from your backyard to your neighbor, that's cash money.
0: (laughs) That's definitely cash money. I need to declare every penny of it if you'd like.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I I always do. Okay.
1: Well, I mean, um, my other thought is, so you you talk about people being out of work doing this, but this is something a person can do part-time if they have a nine-to-five job.
0: Sure, There's, we have probably half of our vendors work nine to five, and they come on Saturdays. They also spend a couple hours a night out in the greenhouse, or you know, it doesn't have to be all greenhousing. Are you a baker? Because the bakers seem to make the best money at our markets. The guys that make uh, trellises and birdhouses, they kind of struggle. But uh, if you have coffee and baked goods, you know, for for eating right there at the market. We had a girl that used to make uh elephant ears, the small ones. Hmm. And she had a line 5 hours out of the day her her booth was just completely lined up. For so elephant you don't ears have to go plants. Is that part.
1: She said she was she was doing what?
0: Elephant ears, the small, you know, what the big elephant ear is the big uh pastry. Oh, okay, dried.
1: yeah, you see you're confusing me cuz I'm thinking of elephant ear like the plant.
0: Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> no, it's a pastry. No, okay. okay an elephant ear with sugar brown sugar on it so but yeah there are other things to do you can some people sell services too it's one thing you have to check out with your market manager though and with your state some markets only allow produce and plants some allow anything that's handmade from nursery products and some are just like flea markets you can do anything
1: yeah, we just had kind of a, of a growers and uh the displayers revolt at ours uh where they were Ooh. trying to push it down to only produce uh and 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 home baked foods basically. That was it and nothing else. And right. uh, a lot of the growers that that's all they did, even they revolted because they're like, well exactly what you said, when we have more people here and more stuff to look at, more people come. And they don't want it to be like a flea market or anything, but Kind of some of the stuff you said, like um, y- allowing people to, 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 to you know, like market their service, and uh, like one of the things that one of the growers is doing is if you want rabbits, you can reserve them with them there, and then you go to the farm and pick them up, and the people right. that were running the market didn't like that, I guess because the money went outside of the market or whatever, but the reason the grower was doing that wasn't for circumvention, it was because. In this state, anyway, with the regulations, he can sell you a rabbit directly, but he can't process it and bring it there and sell it to you. So okay. Okay. they were kind of revolting because they wanted more freedom. And I guess the growers, in the end, ended up running the show.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, it, it's meant to be a farmers' market, but they have to have some flexibility. Otherwise, you're just not going to you're not going to generate the uh, customer base.
1: Absolutely, okay. I completely agree with that. So hey man this has been a great interview and uh uncovered some things I didn't even expect as we've been chatting I've been kind of uh going through your blog and you've been busy man you you've done what I've suggested that anybody with a blog do and you've you've blogged a lot and I would definitely recommend people get by and take a look at your blog which again is at the com, and then uh, your your main site where people can get your greenhouses is stevesgreenhouses.com right
0: right yep and uh do you remember where that name come from, came from, the greenhouse com.
1: I think it was from me.
0: Yeah, I think it was your suggestion. Yeah. I said, I'm going to set this guy up and just go ahead and try it then.
1: Well, you did it on Blogspot, and I just lamb-blazed you. said, get it off. I know. Spend nine bucks and get a domain name. I'm going <laughs> to kick your ass. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I did I
0: just, say that. <laughs> you did, but I just ended up adding up the bill the other day, and it's actually $170, but it was well worth it. I mean, for everything. For the hosting years. Yeah app for everything. It's well worth it. So before we go though, I'd like to do a shout out if you don't mind.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: A, uh, it's a group of guys and girls. They work for the uh, Longview, Washington Post Office. That's how I found out about you is uh, the wife brought home one of the, uh, a note from one of the guys there and it was survivalpodcast.com and I've been listening ever since. So shout out to those guys and gals. They do work hard. And they pretty much all listen to you, <laughs> so that's, that's telling you something about the code, though.
1: Well, let me say thank you to those folks as well, and thanks for letting you know. I mean, I have a great greenhouse now. I've got a new great relationship with uh, somebody. I'd love to have you come back on the show again sometime. I think there's a lot of stuff we could talk about. Maybe we had you come back on just let's say uh, right before spring, February ish, and January ish, or something like that. I'll, Dorothy, get in touch with you just on starting plants.
0: Sure, sure, we can do that. Uh, I do a lot of stuff from plants. I- Fill uh, people in with resources on how to pick up slugs and liners, and how to get a vendor or a broker.
1: Um, I I got a passion for the business. So I'm willing to share it all. So. Awesome, awesome. Well, we'd love to have you back, Steve. Again, thank you for being on the show today. Sure, thank you much, Jack. All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spearco today, along with Steve Pissar, to helping you figure out how to live that better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Me show you a better way.
0: the up there cares